0: Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The ReStory Podcast starts now. The ReStory Show, Season 2, Episode 7. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash ReStory. They have a whole bunch of titles to choose from for any device that you have. Today, I am so excited to welcome Trisha Goyer. She is a novelist and a nonfiction author as well as a speaker. She's a homeschooling mom, and she uh, is also a foster to adoption mom. And uh she and I are similar in that we both write fiction and nonfiction. She and I are dissimilar in that she has seven more children than I do, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the episode today. So um, I just have this feeling that you're really going to enjoy this episode because she's just so honest and so real, and uh, she is one of those people in my life who demonstrates to me what it's like to say yes to God. So without further ado... Here is Trisha Goyer. Hey everyone, it's Mary with the ReStory Show and today I have Trisha Goyer on with me and she is awesome and I have no idea how we met, although we must have met like at a writer's conference maybe, I'm guessing. Do you know?
1: Maybe I don't know. (laughs) It seems like you've always been in my life with
0: a great big smile. Yes, we've always known each other. I'm sure it must have been a writer's conference, but I'm trying to think. We do have a picture of us with Robin Jones' gun a long time ago, and I'm trying to think. That must have been like at an ICRS or something like that, right?
1: Or ACFW, American Christian Fiction Writers. Yes,
0: thanks for saying out the acronyms because people listening are like, who are these weirdos and what is all these (laughs) letters? (laughs) Anyway, so thanks for coming today, Trisha. I'm really glad to have you on the show.
1: I'm so glad to be here.
0: Yay. So the first thing I, I usually ask folks is just kind of give us your overall story. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, um, you know, early years, meeting your husband, stuff like that.
1: Well, my story has a lot of brokenness, I guess you could say to it, a lot of broken relationships. My mom actually got pregnant with me uh, when she was in college and she her first year in college. And... Um, my biological dad, I thought he knew about me. Like the stories have changed over the years, but I thought my biological dad knew about me, but I didn't know him. He had moved before my mom had me. He'd moved to a four year college. This was during the Vietnam War. He didn't want to go to war. He moved to a college. Um, so I was born to a single mom and she married my stepdad when I was four years old, but really he wasn't very involved in my life. He was like, the silent figure in the lazy boy chair, just kind of there. He was a police officer, very distant, not really involved. I had a younger brother who he was much more involved in my younger brother's life and just kind of grew up with this hole in my heart, wanting that love. Looking back now, I see that's what it is. Um see a lot of loneliness, not really connecting. in my family started looking for love in all the wrong places. When uh, I was very young teenager, became sexually active at 15 got pregnant and chose abortion, which is something I regret. God's brought a lot of healing in my life from that. And then when I was 17, was pregnant again, same boyfriend, and decided that I was not going to have an abortion again. In my senior year in high school, I dropped out, ended up having my son, Corey, a couple of weeks after graduation. And um, then God brought, it was actually during my pregnancy, that I gave my heart to God. I'm like, I have messed up. I'm going the wrong direction. I have grown up going to church with my mom. She became a Christian when I was in the second grade and just gave my heart to God and said, I have messed up my life. If you can do anything with it, please do. And he brought John in, who I've been married now to for 26 years. And um, John has just brought, been the the gentle person that's brought a lot of encouragement and love and Shown the love of Christ to me. And then we had two more kids, um,
0: biologically. Um, so that's just my
1: growing up, how
0: God has transformed my life story. How did you meet your husband?
1: Okay. This is a, a fun story. So after I just rededicated my life to God, I started going to church again and, and John's dad was the pastor.
0: <laughs> and a
1: couple of years before like I would go to church you know a couple times a year with my mom just not really into it but just would go and sit there holidays or whatever and he had he had been in the Marine Corps and he came back on leave at one time and he had seen me there and um he had asked my mo- his mom about me after service and she's like that's Trisha stay away from her she's trouble <laughs> Which was trouble at the time but fast forward a couple of years um, here I was coming back and pregnant and, you know, he, he had heard from his parents, I guess that the dad wasn't involved in our lives. Um, but really just wanted to be a friend. And the day Corey was born, I went home from the hospital the same day that Corey was born. I was 17, you know, put on my jeans and went home. after. Them. <laughs> wow. I knew. I'm like at three in the morning. I was home by noon. Um, <laughs> that night we got a call that John Goyer was coming over to see me. And I thought it was my pastor. That's his name too. And no, it was the younger John Goyer. And he just brought a teddy bear and a card. And if there's anything I need to do for you, you know, just really trying to be a friend. Well, then my mom and his mom got in on it and his mom called, so if John were not Trisha, Trisha out, uh, would she go? And my mom said, I don't know. Let me ask. And so I'm like, sure. And so then my mom called his mom, which is just, it just shows you, Like the transformation in my life from a couple years before, because this is the mom that was saying "Stay away from Trisha; she's trouble." Now she's saying, "Hey, you should maybe ask Trisha out." And I was just had a new baby, so our very first date, Corey was two weeks old. Oh my goodness! But really, like, yeah, when I like just dedicated my life to God, it was like at church and reading my Bible and just worshiping and lifting my hands. I mean, it was just like this complete transformation because. I was just so thankful. Like there was so much hope that God just flooded into my heart. So we started dating when Corey was two weeks old. We got engaged when Corey was four months old, and married when Corey was nine months. Wow. So it was like, okay, this is a good Christian guy. I'm not letting him go.
0: <laughs> I'm marrying that guy. I'm marrying that guy. That's awesome. So you had um, three kids, and then, and you were living in Montana. And um, writing books by this time, right? Like, yes, I started yeah.
1: writing. Uh, yeah, I was pretty young when I started writing.
0: And uh, what kind of, what transformed you or what, what kind of got into your mind about adoption? Because I know that's kind of what we're going to be talking a little bit about today.
1: Yeah, so once I started writing books, I actually got involved in the Crisis Pregnancy Center there and started working with teenage moms and just seeing... Just a lot of needs. We see the women that coming out know, in the crisis pregnancy center, women choosing not to have abortions, teen moms raising kids. Um, just God put it on my heart to be open to adoption. Read about orphans in China. So it's like this gradual thing. You know, I would pray. Um, you know, God, give me your wisdom and um, you know break my heart with the things that break yours. You know, all these things you pray, then God like really does it. <laughs> oh, but, I know. Yeah, here we go. Uh, so he just put adoption on my heart. And this was when my kids were still in elementary school age. Um, talked to John about it. He was just not interested. You know, we had, I was writing, helping at the pregnancy center. Uh, so I would would travel to speak, had three kids. I was homeschooling. It was just, he's like, I don't even see how we can even add this um, to our lives. And about, you know, six, seven years passed. And he actually brought it up to me again. He said, are you still interested in adoption? And God had been working on his heart. And I said, yes. And so we actually pursued China first. We did all the paperwork, spent a lot of money, got our dossier over in China. And right around the time that finished, the doors to international adoptions really closed in China. They went from 10,000 know, baby girls that they were adopting every year to the United States to 10. I mean, it, literally, the doors closed. So our paperwork's actually there still. It's in, we're on a very long waiting list. We're just going to stay on the list if it comes up. It, we'll talk about it then, but, you know, but so God just really opened my heart then. But then I was so crushed because, you know, after a year after our paperwork was done, I hear from the agency, they said, you know, nothing's moving forward. We're not getting any um, child matches. And they really um, just were you know, saying, we don't, don't know. It might be four or five, six years. We don't know if you'll ever be able to adopt. And I was just crushed. I'm like, you know, God, I've been you know, praying about this for, by this time, eight, nine years. And I don't understand why it's not happening when you tell us to care for the orphans and the widows. Um, and just finally after crying and, you know, feeling so frustrated with God, like, I don't understand. <laughs> uh, other people are adopting kids. Um, and that shows you how much God had just, just put it in my heart that we're supposed to do this. I just opened my hands to him one day. And just said, Lord, I just relinquish this to you. You know the child we're supposed to have. You know the timing. If there's other things I need to do, here you go. And just like completely released it to him. And it was actually that very afternoon when I was driving my grandma to the grocery store. Um, I got a call from a friend from a local mops group, which is a mom's group. And she knew a young woman that was looking for a family to adopt her baby. And, um, she said, are you interested in meeting her? And this was like a week before Christmas, but I met her, talked to her and she was seven and a half months pregnant. We ended up choosing our family. So we went from this agency saying it might be four or five, six years, um, to all of a sudden two and a half months later, we're at the hospital and, you know, with this birth mom and welcoming this brand new baby girl. So, you know, I thought, okay, that's, we did it. <laughs> and God had so much more.
0: The <laughs> We're done. We're oh done with adoption. Okay. Check that off my list. But there's exactly. so much more to the story. <laughs> and then you had a pretty big move. Um, you moved from your, from Montana, just, just an amazing place to somewhere else. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Right around the time that, you know, I'm here praying about adoption, John just kept saying like, I just feel God has something more for us. And Um, just feeling unsettled in his work. He wanted to do more for God's kingdom. And um, so he would just pray, like, I just feel like God's about to do something. Well, we went to a Family Life conference, which Family Life is a ministry in Little Rock, Arkansas. And they talked about career opportunities with Family Life. And he was just super excited about that. And I was 100% settled in Montana. Um, But just wanting to encourage my husband. I'm like, you know, we ended up doing a lot of interviews over the phone. Because they really, when they hire you, they hire a family. Um, it's not just, you know, for a job. Even though he's working computers. They just want to know, you know, the types of families they're bringing in. And so this was moving right forward right around the time we heard about Aly- Alyssa and adopting her. Um, and so literally, she was nine days old when we were in our U-Haul driving from Montana to uh, Little Rock and so this is the time in our lives like I was completely settled I was writing and homeschooling and our loved our church still involved in the pregnancy center and so um, two of our kids ended up staying in Montana one got married was engaged and the other was finishing um, her college she graduated when she was 17 from college so she was up there living with the youth, pa- youth pastor so we ended up leaving two kids wow driving down with a newborn baby to a the south,
0: which is just a whole new
1: experience if you're a from the girl. north. Yep. I've done it. Oh,
0: Sweaty, hot, uh, all those things.
1: And the people are different. It's just crazy. <laughs> I think the north everyone kind of keeps to themselves. Um, the south is everyone's so friendly and someone's like, you know why they're so friendly? Because they just want to know your business. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I was like, "Where am I?"
0: <laughs> I I totally understand that feeling of culture shock, and so then he worked for Family Life, and then you know you've even he's even transitioned out of that. But there's been a couple other adoptions that's happened since then. So tell us a little bit about, or a lot about uh, what's happened in the meantime.
1: You know, we say now that we thought we were coming to Arkansas for family life, which we still love the organization. Um, John's working from home now for Oracle, which is a big computer company. We see now that God didn't bring us down for family life. He brought us down for these kids that we adopted. And when we moved to Arkansas, you know, we really weren't even thinking about adopting more. Then Alyssa got older and we realized this girl is getting so spoiled because all her siblings were older and she was the only little one, super spoiled. And John's like, we should probably think about adopting more kids. Well, in Little Rock, there's a huge number of kids, or in Arkansas, there's a huge number of kids in foster care, which I think it's true around the nation. It just became very real to us um, when we were here in Little Rock. And there's this organization called Project Zero, and they actually put up in churches and businesses this like wall of photographs of kids in foster care that are waiting to be adopted. And I remember for the first time we walked into church and saw this like huge wall of kids and heard about, these are all these kids that their parents' rights had already been relinquished, but they were just looking for families to adopt them. And I'm like, I had never even heard about that. You know, I always think of infants or international adoptions. I mean, honestly, I thought I knew there's kids in foster care. I never really thought of adoption from foster care before that. And so just this became this awareness. And I remember um, flying to a, a retreat with the family life ladies, the bloggers in Florida. And on the way there, I read the book um, Kisses from Katie, which is about this girl from Rwanda that adopted like 13 kids. And I'm just like, wow, God, if this young, tw- early 20s girl can adopt all these kids, like, maybe we can adopt from the foster care. Maybe it doesn't have to be infant adoption. It can be older kids. And so when I got there, I remember talking with some of the other ladies and they were in that, my room that night and we we're just sitting on the beds and talking. And, um, I said, you know, I just really feel called to adopt from foster care. And I saw these pictures that they had at our church. And, you know, I just feel like this is what God's saying to me, but I don't even know what John's going to say. So we just all prayed together that God would just make it clear to both of us. And I called home that night from the retreat. And literally the first thing out of John's mouth after we said hello was have you ever thought about adopting for foster care? No. And he had gone to lunch with a friend from family life. It was, they went out for this guy's birthday and John had been talking about adoption to this, this um, guy and his wife, um, Dan and his wife adopted three kids and John was saying, you know, we don't have very much money. We just have this move. We, you know, take a pay cut to work for this ministry And I don't see how we can do it. And Dan's like, well, you know, you don't have to pay to adopt from foster care. And there's all these kids. And so here I am reading this book and praying with these women in Florida. And John is here in Arkansas out to lunch. And God was just like speaking the same thing to both both of our hearts. And um, that's really when we started looking into it. And we went to training on adopting from foster care. It was like nine weeks of training and started doing home studies. Um, But once our house was open, then everything happened really, really quickly. (laughs)
0: For the listeners of Restory, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. And today I'm going to suggest that you try one of Trisha's novels called The Memory Jar. It's an Amish fiction. And I just know that you're gonna really enjoy it. You can download the memory jar or any other book today at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. And if you go ahead and do that, that helps this podcast to um, pay some of the bills, because this is a. Uh, One of those uh, things that costs money. So when you have sponsorship, that helps. So if you want to do that, that would be great. It would help us out here at Restory. Wow. And so when did that first? Did you ever have any mishaps, or did did you pretty much adopt the ones that you had kind of fallen in love with, or how did that work?
1: Yeah. You know, and it's so interesting because when you see this wall of pictures, you'll think, okay, I'm just going to pick one. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. how can you pick like from all these faces? And so really. We just, um, especially at the beginning, we just felt like we're going to do the paperwork. And on the paperwork, they say, like, what ages are you open to? Are you open to special needs? Are you open to different ethnic groups? Like, we didn't. We inquired about a couple different sibling groups from that, those walls of pictures from the heart gallery is what they call it. But really, we just left it up open to the social worker kind of to see who's out there and who they thought would Connect well with our family, which I think we thought they had a better system. <laughs> which now I know, <laughs> like, who happens to look at the stuff at the same time? I mean, but you know, <laughs> we really were just like open. We just like whatever age, you know. We were thinking sibling group because we know sibling groups are harder to place than one child. And we were thinking older because we knew infants. You know, people, everyone wants infants. Um, and we said whatever ethnic uh, diversity, it doesn't matter. And we ended up putting our paperwork in uh, like November. Well, then the holidays come up. But January 7th, I was actually in Colorado recording with Focus on the Family on a parenting episode. (laughs) Irony. (laughs) And he's like, call me right away. We have a match. And so, you know, after we're done recording, I I call him. I'm just like shaking because I, before the recording... I'm like, my mind is racing because I got the text message from like recording and I'm like having a hard time like keeping track with this because my mind's racing like we haven't met. Um, but I ended up calling him and he emailed me the photos and it was a, a little boy who was two and a half and a little girl that was five. And um, they said they've had numerous failed placements. So they other families had wanted to adopt him because they were adorable. They were Caucasian little blonde kids. And lots of families wanted to adopt them, but their emotional needs were so great that a lot of families couldn't deal with it. Um, And they said, we need to move them from the house from this family that was going to adopt them quickly. They'd been there for like three weeks and the family couldn't handle it anymore. And they didn't want to put them in another foster home. And they had asked our social worker, do you know a family that you think will stick with these kids? And she's like, the Gorgers. So she's like, here they are. These crazy people, we'll try. <laughs> um, and so we found out about them on a Monday. John talked to them again on Tuesday and they said, we need to move them by
0: Thursday. Oh my gosh. And
1: so we went from not having any well, I mean, any clue about them to we met them on Wednesday um, for like two hours. And they were mm. just crazy. They interacted with each other, very hyper, did not interact with us hardly at all. But they'd been moved. Like we figure out now, like twelve times in one year, wow. just to different houses and foster homes and people that wanted to adopt them. So yeah. I mean, of course they're not going to be interested in bonding with you because every other person in their life is just they're just moved around. And so then we went back on Thursday and they loaded all their stuff. Was there? They we filled up the back of our car with all their stuff. We got car, DHS had some car seats. We. Put them in, and we drove away within thirty minutes. Uh, So Mm,
0: we're driving
1: home, and John's like looks at me, goes, "The state of Arkansas just gave us two children," (laughs) and they're in the back, like going crazy and screaming. And we're like, "Oh, my word!" And it was rough. The first six months were really, really hard. Just a lot of emotional issues. But thankfully, our social worker helped us get into great counseling, and that really helped. Um, and just a lot of prayers from people but with both we adopted twice for foster care which we'll go into the next story soon but both cases the first six to nine months are just really hard it's like trauma experiences not only for the kids just for us for our family so it's hard but I think with both with all the kids that we have adopted you know
0: it takes time but we are really seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now I remember visiting you when you uh it had already adopted the the first sibling set and uh they were so sweet and you shared with me just how important it was for them to go to, through trauma therapy and how it had really made an incredible difference in their lives and tell talk a little bit about what that how that worked and how that went
1: yeah there's you know when people think of therapy as kids i mean there's therapists that do like the talk therapy that's like, I don't know, tell you know, just talking through issues or problems, but it doesn't really help. Um, so the therapy went, we went through is called cognitive-based trauma therapy, and it's this evidence-based therapy. Um, and even little kids, and it's just a lot of it, I felt like the therapist was telling me what I needed to do, how to handle discipline how to handle when our daughter was having complete fits. I mean, this would be 45 minutes of her screaming and kicking and yelling and yelling bad, bad things (laughs) at us, you know, how to handle things. But then working with her and teaching her how to have coping skills and how to deal with her emotions, talking about traumas from the past and how to, um, you know, telling their story. And a lot of it's just getting them, because when they're little, Trauma is so confusing. It's confusing for adults. But stuff that they think is good is really bad. And stuff they thought was bad was really good. I mean, they're just so confused. Like our little daughter when she was five, when she would get hurt, she would get angry. Like she'd stub her toe or fall down and skin her knee and she would get angry and hit the walls and run to her room and yell at you. And you're so I'm trying to help her. Um, but because of her trauma, the therapist like, we don't know if people laughed at her when she got hurt, or if they hit her because they were bothering him when she was hurt. Like they don't know what response she has. So we had to train her when she got hurt to run to mommy, run to, so you were acting this out in therapy. Okay. Run to mommy, give her a hug. Pretend you're hurt. Run to mommy, give her a hug. Mommy's going to kiss. It's like we're te- reteaching them how to relate. And it's so funny because, um, well funny now, but she <laughs> one time was riding her bike and she was out in front of the house and John was out there with her and so she fell off the bike and got hurt. And so he's there, like with his arms open, reaching for her to help her. And mm. she runs past him to find mommy. They have <laughs> to run to mommy. But we had her like, daddy can help you too. He can be a
0: substitute mommy.
1: <laughs>
0: That's, That's so funny. it's all
1: these things that they understand that kids who've gone through trauma have dealt with. And so I remember when we first talked about therapy. Before we got the kids, I'm like, I've been a mom for 24 years, and not this time, whatever. I've been a mom <laughs> for 24 years. Like, I know this parenting thing. And
0: then,
1: literally, <laughs> an our therapist was an intern, and she worked under this other th- bigger therapist guy, whatever. But she was like 24, like, and, you know, single. Her name was Brittany. I mean, she's a <laughs> little perky thing. I'm like, what is she gonna teach me about <laughs> parenting or these kids, trauma therapy? And literally, I would go and she would talk. And I would just take notes and notes and notes and notes because it's so different. People think when you're raising your kids, you know how to do this. But it was so different dealing with kids who had been from trauma. So it's just like understanding like how they think and how it works and how to relate
0: to them in a way that's different than our biological kids. And so eventually you thought, well, this isn't enough children. <laughs> we need more. <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly what you thought, but that's what I, from the outside. I'm like, wow. So tell us about the next set of siblings that uh, caught your eye or how did that happen?
1: Okay. So, you know, we still see all these photos of all these kids because they're still on the
0: website. It's,
1: you know, know, on Facebook at our church, there's more photos of kids. And I mean, for, you know, a couple, year and a half, I'm like, no more kids. Like, we're full. We have three little ones. We had three bigger ones. People were getting married and moving to Europe, like doing all the big kid things that they're doing. But one Orphan Sunday at our church. Our church is huge into fostering and caring for orphans. It was just a super moving service. And I just remember even before, like the sharing and the preaching began during worship, like I was just broken. I knew God was doing something like, I remember just bawling. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. But God is like, he was like breaking my heart open. Um, for the orphan, and I didn't even understand why he was doing that. Um, but just thinking of all the kids out there that don't have families, don't have parents, and then of course we go to the service and people are sharing their stories and how they were adopted, and especially older kids sharing their stories. And I just remember just being broken, sitting in that service, and we would get in the car, and John and I are both just like looking at each other with wide-eyed, like, "Wow, that was amazing." And he turns to me and he says, "You know, I." I'm comfortable now. Like our kids got to the place of healing where we were normal. I mean, pretty much. I mean, there's still even now trauma things, trauma triggers that will trigger different things. But pretty much no one would ever guess, like if you meet them, that there's anything different about them. So we were at a place of where it was normal. The kids were doing well. And he says, you know, I think we're in a good place again. And he says, I don't think we're supposed to have an easy life. I don't want to get to heaven someday and have anything left in me and say, well, that was easy. We just coasted the last 30 years or whatever. He says, I want to be able to get to heaven and say, God, I have used every ounce of strength that you have given me. And I have done what you've asked me to do. And I'm like, I know, like both of us were feeling it. And both of us knew exactly what it meant adopting again from foster care. Um, it was just like so clear, just that service really changed us. And so then we started talking about, well, who and how, because it's all these photos. I mean, and I started going through the pictures. I was like, well, this kid looks nice. I mean, it's just so hard when you see photos of children. And so we said, well, a sibling group again. Um, And we were mostly interested in girls, mostly because we had two little girls. And we didn't want to bring an older boy in that could possibly abuse them. So we were looking at girls. And we were looking for Older girls, working with teen moms, I work with teen moms at our church too. Um, a lot of them, when they age out of foster care, within six months, they're pregnant and living with a guy because they have nowhere to go. They don't have family. And so we know girls that age out of foster care are super vulnerable or they end up in sex trafficking. So as we prayed, we just felt that's what like, older girls, a sibling group that you know would soon be aging out of foster care. And so I emailed the lady from Project Zero and like, this is just what we're looking at. If you know any sibling groups like this. And she's like, just this week, I've got an email from a social worker that was wanting us to do photos of some girls. And their sibling group of four, which we were not there before, Um, but they gave us their names and ages. And just like, we didn't even see a picture yet. And just reading their names, it was clear from their names, they were all Hispanic. (laughs) Um, But just reading their names and seeing their ages and they had just had a failed placement. Um, they'd been working towards adop- adoption from a family for like a year and a half in that field. And so this is it. Those are the girls. And so we talked to the social worker. And, you know, here we are, this family, like six children. Like, We want to adopt four more. And she was totally open. Like she could have easily said, you cannot handle this or you have too many kids. as yes, it is." But she just listened to us and we talked to her. And so it took a while for her to get all the paperwork because just the paperwork for four girls was a lot. To gather up um, and so about five or six months after we first inquired about them we got to meet them for the first time and that was just amazing just meeting them for the first time and they were nervous we were nervous they were excited we were excited and they kind of like were off like distant I don't know they weren't given it their all I mean they would just been hurt so many times from their biological parents lots of foster homes they lived in a children's home at the time um so they were just kind of standoffish and really what changed is um we were talking about our other kids and our dog and you know and they at this age they were see 11 10 they were 10 12 12 and 14 at the time they over the age of 11 they can choose whether they want to be adopted by this family so it's Mm. not just us saying we pick you they had to Mm. pick us too right and so we're our kids and our dogs you know like hey look at our dog we have our bedroom for you and we have a dog and I don't know just trying to upsell our stuff but but um we they said oh i want to see a picture of the dog and I opened my phone to uh show them a picture of our dog and on my screensaver it had been their photo the social worker had sent us a photo of the four of them that we had on the phone for like I had on my phone for like five months. And every time I'd turn on my phone, I'd see their picture and remember to pray for them. And one of the girls, one of the 12-year-old twins, she said, you have our photo on the phone, your phone? I said, we've had it for like five months. We've been praying for you. And she just broke down bawling, crying. And her sisters, they all start crying. And that was really, I think, just a moment where their guards came down and they were willing to try. And so they so did more visits and then they'd like yes we want to be adopted by them so um there was that was like in February and in January they moved in with us and in the foster care system they live with you for 6 months first before the adoption could be final just to make sure that it goes through and again this horrible 6 months mm-hmm. <laughs> lot of issues a lot of acting out and really now I'm able to talk to them cuz it's been a year and a half since we met them and they will tell me that they like weren't consciously doing it but I guess unconsciously acting out because they were so sure we were going to get rid of them it's almost like let's just act this way now so we can just go back and they were so certain every time that um, every time that they would do something they were just like okay they're packing their things because we're going to go back We're gonna, they lived in a children's home we're going to go back and they were so shocked time and time and time again where we're like we love you we forgive you we can work this out you're not going back And so really, when the adoption finalized, um, I would say a lot of the behavior stuff stopped because they realized we're serious. Like, this is the paperwork. They have your last name now. Um, And that made a huge difference.
0: That's amazing. And so then they, how long ago were they adopted officially? Um, It's been seven months now. Wow. That's awesome. And so uh, you have a very busy life right now.
1: I do. Yeah, so we have 10 kids now, seven (laughs) adopted, Um, and then I started homeschooling them in January also, right after the adoption was finalized, because I really wanted that time together. You know, I've missed out so many years of their lives. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're homeschooling, we're spending time together, we're traveling together, going on these crazy road trips with all these kids just because we've lost so many years and we need to bond with them. And we you know soon we're going to be launching them into their adult lives and are just trying to do all we can just to impart a lot of God into them. You know, every morning in our homeschooling, we spend you know a good hour at least on Bible study and prayer and talking about faith in God. And because um, I'm like, if they, even if they don't know, algebra or whatever, which we're still working on algebra, but like, I want them to have the foundation of God's word because that's going to matter more than anything. I want them to have that time together as a family. That's awesome.
0: So one of my last two questions is what advice would you give to someone in that like pre-adoptive situation where they're willing to adopt? Maybe they want to adopt from foster care, um, or they're adopting overseas. What kind of advice would you give to someone in that position?
1: You know, I would say just know that it's going to be hard, especially at the beginning, but know it is so worth it um, and that everything has a time and a season. In fact, um, I was asking for prayer a lot. I would just text friends, like, can you pray for us? This is a really hard day or a really hard moment. I remember asking you before Mary for prayer at different times. And um, I remember one of my friends, Rebecca, who lives in Montana, it's like this girl is just one of the 13-year-olds is just having a horrible, horrible day and time and screaming and wanted to run away. I mean, just really hard time. And she's like, I just feel God is telling me to tell you this, and I don't even know if it makes sense to you, but this too will pass. And I'm like, that's exactly what I needed here. And I remember they took me back to the little kids and the tantrums that a five-year-old had. Um, so we don't even see those anymore, you know, those tantrums. And so with a 13-year-old, it's like that will pass too. Like there is so much hurt in them that they need to kind of work through it. And it passed. Like we haven't seen with any of our kids those kind of tantrums in months and months and months. And so that was really, really good. Like the thing I clung to all the time. Every time we're dealing with an issue, I'd go back to that, which my friend told me like this too will pass. And so there may be seasons that it's really hard, um, but but God has got them and God sees them healed and sees them whole and sees them striving towards him, which is our goal for our girls, you know? Um, and really, I guess to you know, we're never going to be perfect parents. Um, but the whole goal in our life and parenting um, is that someday they'll stand before God and they'll, he'll say, welcome into my kingdom. And so mm. my homeschooling may not be perfect. <laughs> our mm. house is definitely not perfect. I used to be a neat freak that has gone out the window. <laughs> I just keep up with it anymore. And so really that stuff doesn't matter, but the fact that we can have a children, a child in our home, share about Christ, and hopefully they will see that and want him for themselves. And someday they'll be able to be ushered into
0: eternity. Like that mm. is the end goal. Right. Beautiful. So in the past year, how has God restoried you? What's been new in your life past year?
1: You know, The past year, the girls have been here. All of them have been here over a year now. And um, I think the story he's just living through me and just showing me is just unconditional love. And how in our brokenness, he fills all those spaces and he just offers unconditional love. And um, I've had to learn to love when I was rejected. I mean, we've had girls screaming at me and... Um, And so even in areas, and even times when I didn't feel like loving, I could say, God, just give her your love through me somehow. Like, and just that story of God's unconditional love. When we are broken, when we're ejected, rejected, God invites us into his family and he loves us and he doesn't give up on us and he's never going to turn his back on us. And so I don't know that's the kind of story that he's living out in our lives. And these girls, they see it now, they experience it. And, you know, I just... I just trust that their stories are going to share that unconditional love with other people as they grow and leave our home.
0: There's something very powerful about God's unconditional love, and especially when we express it to others and they experience it probably for the first time. I know for me, just that's how I I came to Christ. I desperately needed it. And, you know, I share a story with those girls and you share a story with those girls. We all have some broken parts of our past and I'm just so grateful that he loves us anyway and and that he's relentless in his pursuit of us and that, you know that that's translated to your family and your pursuit of the heart of your girls and and your son to your little boy so thank you so much for sharing that story I think it's really going to open up people's hearts and spaces in their hearts to do you know like John said to just I don't want to live a normal boring life where <laughs> I uh, relax and coast my way through but that we're doing hard things for God, for his sake, for his glory, for his renown. So thank you so much for sharing that today.
1: Thank you, Mary.
0: Thank you for listening to the Restory Show. Mind if I pray for you. Lord, I do pray for those listening today that we would become people who say yes to you, that we would strive to hear from you, want to be near you, and to not have just sedentary lives of ease, but instead that we could say at the end of our lives that we've spent it all for you, that we utilized the strength that you provided for us when we felt like we were at the end of ourselves, and we stepped forward into faith and uh, doing the things that you ask, sometimes really hard things. Lord, I confess that I am often someone who wants ease, wants to have life be easy, but when it's that way, I don't grow. So I pray for obstacles, and I pray that those obstacles will become opportunities for all of us to trust you. For those who are struggling today with adoption and kind of walking through the process, I pray for open doors. I pray for new opportunities. I pray that you would build families in the way that you see fit And we pray that you would rescue those out there in the world today who are fatherless and motherless, who desperately need a family. And Lord, if we are to be the answer to that prayer, I pray that we would be willing to step into that role. Lord, for those who are overwhelmed and facing so many trials all at once, it seems like it's a wave upon wave of a tsunami of stress. I pray that you would bring peace and quiet to their lives today. I pray that we would take that time to spend with you, to be quiet, to read your word, to press into you, to, to hear from you. And um, I pray for specifically uh, encouragement and joy, Lord, that you would help us to be content in the circumstances that we ha- have right now, the ones that we're in right now, and be grateful for what we have instead of longing for what we don't have. I thank you so much that you are one who teaches us contentment. And that the Apostle Paul said that he could do all things through Christ who gave him strength. And that related a lot to possessions and things. And he learned how to be content with a lot of stuff. And he learned how to be content with nothing at all. So, Lord, help us to be like the Apostle Paul and to have that same kind of contentment. I pray all these things in the beautiful, amazing name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with l- links and extended information, please go to marydemuth.com forward slash restory two dash seven. That's restory two dash seven. And may you live a brand new story this week.